Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And here, Paul is saying, you know, remember, between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there's about a three-year gap. Okay, a three-year gap. So here in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, 2 Corinthians, this is what Paul says. He says, but I determined this within myself that I would not come again to you. Do you remember in our study in 1 Corinthians, in, in the early chapters, how Paul, you know, how I, I longed to come visit you. And he even says it later on in, 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 in 1 Corinthians. But then uh, 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 how last week when we studied in chapter 1, 2 Corinthians, in verse 23, Paul says, Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. And so, you know, we, we kind of touched on that in, in terms of like, wow, that's pretty hardcore because it's like, wow, to spare you. Now, you have to picture the sorrow that Paul has in, in verse one of chapter two. He says that I would not come to you again in sorrow, which is to, to have the heaviness, sadness and grief in his heart. Now, put yourself in Paul's shoes for a moment or in his entourage that he has with them. I say entourage as like the group of people that are with them, but this entourage is a very holy group of people. They're, they're senders. You know, Paul, they're, they're messengers. Paul teaches and pours into these people and he sends them out. And, you know, the early in the early stages, they're runners, they're messengers. But then, you know, there's Titus and then there's Timothy. They become pastors. They become uh, uh, deacons. They become uh, 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 teachers in home fellowships, home fellowship leaders. And it, it, it's so beautiful what we see. So when I say entourage, it's not like, you know, you see like uh, uh, celebrities with an entourage, you know, people who are just following them for the sake of following them. No, this entourage of Paul, you know, it, it's their future messengers, if not present messengers, where, you know, they're runners, they're going out to Corinth, they're going out to Ephesus, they're going out to, you know, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now, picture Paul, say we're in his entourage, and a runner comes in and says, Paul, we got a letter. And he reads it. It's from the household of Chloe. It's from Corinth. We go, oh, wow, this is the church in Corinth. And then all of a sudden they, they start to read, you know, it, it starts to be read and read aloud in this entourage. All the things that are going on in Corinth, the works of the flesh, the sexual sin. I mean, it, it, remember our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? All the sexual sin, egregious sexual sin, such as not even named among the Gentiles. Not even the non-believers are doing this stuff. That's how bad the sin was in the church in Corinth. Not even the non-believers, not even the Gentiles, not, not even the, uh, uh, the heathens are doing this. And yet it is in the church. And so Paul writes a letter and he says, okay, take this guy and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Take this guy and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And also he says, you know, when I told you not to keep company with these people, that you know, the sexually immoral, the, the drunkards, the revilers, he says, I didn't mean from the world because you'd have to get in a rocket ship and go live on the moon. I'm paraphrasing. But he says, I didn't mean with the people of the world. He says, I meant with anybody named a brother. Anybody named a brother not even to eat with such a person because it's leaven. He says your, your, your rejoicing isn't good. It's not a good thing. You come to church, you sing your praise the Lord's hallelujah, and it looks fine on the outside looking in. 
But it's not good because look at the leaven. The leaven hasn't been dealt with. The leaven hasn't been addressed. And so now when we read first in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians in that context, now you understand, okay, in verse 23 in chapter 1, when he says, moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. Yes, I want to be with you, he says, but to spare you, I came no more. It, it, it would have been too harsh. It would have been too harsh if you heard from my mouth say, take this guy and commit him to Satan. Not that, you know, he's going to like lose it and go nuts on the church. But understanding, you know what, to spare you. Because why? He says in verse 24, because, you know, it's your joy. I want you to be joyful. And so now when we have that context, now we look at verse 1 of chapter 2. And Paul continues in this same vein. And he says, but I determined this within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. Picture his heaviness of heart, his sadness of heart, his grief in his heart for the church in Corinth, his children in Christ, whom he loves. And yet he sees this abundance of the works of the flesh. You remember there's a three-year gap between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. It's not like, you know, it happened yesterday. A three-year gap between these two letters. But then you look at the, uh, 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 Acts chapter 18 and you see the founding of the church and that gap from when Paul left, you know, he was in Corinth, he stayed with, uh, for a while and when he left, that time period uh, between that time when he left Corinth and 1 Corinthians, another three-year gap. So you figure birth of the church, three years, 1 Corinthians, and then three more years, 2 Corinthians. Okay, And so this isn't like, you know, when you see the works of the flesh in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it's not like, you know, this is, you know, something that has, it just happened yesterday or within a week or within two weeks. No, within the span of three years, it hadn't, hadn't been addressed. And what you see in year three is, I mean, picture flesh that hasn't been dealt with, the carnal nature that hasn't been dealt with. It gets worse in time. It progresses in time. So what you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, what was it in year 2? What was it in year 1? What was it after 5 months? I mean, maybe, maybe you had some people thinking about certain, you know, for the sexual sin. Maybe after 3 months, some guys and some gals started to Think about it. They hadn't done it, the sexual sin. They hadn't done anything, but they were thinking about it. You see, where was a pastor, an elder, to teach the Word of God, to teach the Word and say, look, you know, keep your minds clean, keep your hearts clean, keep everything clean? Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? But then you have those in the household of Chloe. Beautiful, beautiful Chloe. Probably a, a, a women's fellowship. 
I don't want to explain that because, you know, we've already gone through that. I explain, I mean, I want to explain it, but if you want to know more, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. Which chapter? All of it, because I make mention of Chloe, I think, every, 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 every study from every chapter. Beautiful, beautiful Chloe. And all those in the fellowship in her home. You picture the sorrow that Paul has for the church, for the sake of the church, their walk with the Lord. And then also the sorrow he has for the name of the Lord. Because the Lord, where's his glory? When he says to the church, your glorying isn't good, your rejoicing isn't good. He doesn't want to go to the church in sorrow. Because he wants the church to be full of joy. Remember chapter 1 verse 24? Uh, for your joy, he says. And so we see here in verse 2, For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? You see? So what does that mean? The, the, the natural man can, you know, what, what Paul is saying here is, How, how can I be glad when you're in sorrow? He wants the church to be full of joy, and he wants to be full of joy. He wants to be glad, but he can't be that way. He's in sorrow. Now, the natural man would say, okay, let's, just, let's be glad then. Let's just, let's just sweep everything under the rug, and let's be happy. Eat, meat, eat, drink, and be merry. But no, that's not the case. That's not how you deal with things, biblically, scripturally. Because the sin needs to be addressed. The carnal nature needs to be addressed. What's better? You have all these works of the flesh. Egregious sexual sin that, you know, not, it's not even named among the Gentiles. You have the drunkards, the revilers, and even more sexual sin. The extortioners. You have all these things. What's better? Do you take those works of the flesh and sweep them under the rug and then rejoice? Okay, let's be glad. Let's be glad. No. You know why? Because the carnal nature hasn't been addressed. The sin hasn't been addressed. It needs to be addressed. Now, understand that this sorrow, this sorrow, it's a byproduct of choice. A person chooses to behave in whatever manner. Now, precursory to that choice to the work in that manner is what happens in the mind. People always say, oh, wow, look, this guy got caught doing this. This lady got caught doing that, which is bad. It's egregious, whatever it is. You know, the three big ticket items in my experience, sex, drugs, and alcohol. Those are the three biggest problems we see in the church today that I've seen in the church. Sex, drugs, and alcohol. Those are the biggies. There's other things, but those are the three biggies. Sex, drugs, and alcohol. Where you see a combination of them, whew, that's not good. I mean, one is not good, but two or three, whew, not good at all. And usually they trickle into other things where you get two, three, four. You know, someone's going to uh, uh, be married and have uh, 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 a process, three different prostitutes on the side. Going to strip clubs. And then they're probably going to drink. They're probably going to do the drugs. And then if that's the case, then they're probably going to start cheating on their taxes. They're probably going to start doing other things. It's going to trickle down to other things. The works of the flesh. So what's better? 
Do we just say, oh, yeah, let's, let's just meet and get together. We'll have a good time and all these things. Let's just sweep it under the rug. No, that's a dirty house. The house of the Lord. It has to be clean before the Lord. This sorrow that Paul is referring to, it's not his fault. The sorrow is a result of a person's choice to do the sex, to do the drugs, to do the alcohol, to be an extortioner, a reviler. That's, his sorrow is a result of a person's choice, in this case, multiple people. Paul is reactionary. You see, the Lord is reactionary. Are we not to expect his vessels to be reactionary as well? And so look what happens here in verse 3. And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. Now, have you ever corrected another brother or sister in Christ? It's very difficult to do. Very, very difficult because you love them. Yes, they're a brother. Yes, they're a sister and you love them. But have you ever corrected another brother or sister in Christ? Now, if you're going to do that, you cannot be a hypocrite. You cannot be an alcoholic and tell another brother about, hey, don't do the alcohol. Meanwhile, you're in the same sin. You cannot talk to another brother about, hey, don't do the sexual stuff when you yourself are doing the sexual stuff. No, you can't. That's hypocrisy. That's not good. Don't do that. Listen to our study through Romans 2. You cannot be carnal. Now, you're, we wrestle with the flesh. You're always going to have this, this element of carnality, but it has to be reckoned dead. The old nature, the old man, the old woman has to be reckoned dead. People always say, don't judge me, don't judge me, don't judge me. Keep reading. Yes, don't judge lest you be judged, but that's crino. Don't condemn to hell. But don't forget the derivatives, the, the two primary derivatives of crino. There are others. Anacrino and diacrino. You have to make an assessment. You have to make a determination. You have to make a judgment. And you have to take the plank out of your own eyes so that you can see clearly to correct another brother, another sister in Christ. You cannot be a hypocrite. And so we start to see here like, well, wait a second. This is... This is pretty hardcore. You're absolutely right. It is. Think of the pastors, the elders that were in Corinth in chapter 1, in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and think about the, how they felt when chapter 5 was read. You know, everybody comes to church, you know, they start to rejoice, sing praise the Lord, hallelujah, speak Christianese. And then all of a sudden, Paul says, you know, hey, your rejoicing isn't good. Think about how those pastors and elders must have felt. And rightfully so. Because they were defunct. Why is it that they said nothing for three years? Why did it, why did it get to this point? What was, what was the sin like after five months? When, when Paul left town, when Paul left Corinth, what was it like after five months? People maybe started going back into their old ways. 
people started thinking about them. They might not have been doing the drugs, the sex, the alcohol. They might not have been doing it. But they sure were thinking about it. Just like we see in the Old Testament when people start thinking about, you know, the, the leek and the garlic and the fish that was in Egypt. Oh, we had it so good in Egypt. Exact same thing. People started to go back to their carnal nature because they didn't reckon the old man dead. They didn't reckon the old woman dead. You see, the works of the flesh, walking according to the flesh instead of walking according to the Spirit. Now, in life, in your walk with Christ, you're always going to make these uh, mistakes. Always. I mean, it's, it, I don't want to sound fatalistic in saying that, but you know, you're, you're going to make these mistakes where you make a decision to walk according to the flesh, but you repent. You repent and you learn from that mistake. And then the next time it happens, the next time you're at that fork in the road, you learn, okay, last time when I was with this decision, I walked according to the flesh and I reaped what I sown. And so this time, I'm not going to walk according to the flesh. I don't want to be a dog going back to his vomit. I don't like want to be a pig wallowing in the mud. I want to walk according to the Spirit. And the Lord chastised me when I did that. So I'm not going to... Remember, He chastises those whom He loves. If we are without chastisement, the Lord says that the Word of God says, according to the King James Version, if we are without chastisement, we are a bastard. That's King James. Uh, you know, under normal circumstances, I wouldn't say that, but I'm just reading from the King James. Bastard. Illegitimate. So you're going to be chastised in your walk with Christ. But when you are chastised, as I am, we learn. We learn. And we learn to walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And in so doing, we grow, we mature. And so Paul writes here in verse 3, I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. Having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. You see this, you know, this reciprocity in joy? Wow, you guys are full of joy. I am too, because when you're joyful, I'm joyful. Imagine if, now, Paul didn't make it to Corinth. I mean, he says, you know, to spare you, I came no more to Corinth, that I would not come to you in sorrow. But picture, if you will, Paul coming into town, Maybe with Timothy, maybe with Titus. And he sits in a fellowship. One of the one of the fellowships in Corinth. And he sits there and just doesn't say a word, just to observe. Think about what's going on in his mind. Oh, I can't believe look at that, you know. They're behaving like this. The guy's talking about this. The ladies are dressed like this. They're talking about this. The guys are. Think about what's going on in his mind before he says something. Then he gets up and he has to say, because he's compelled by the Spirit. And then he's crying, he's weeping the whole time. 
for the sake of hurting the church because he's hurt, because he's in sorrow, because he sees the works of the flesh. Now, say, for example, he walks out of that fellowship and he wants to encourage another fellowship. And he says, you know what? I want to pay a visit to my friend, Chloe, my dear, dear friend, Chloe. He knocks on the door. Chloe answers it. Chloe opens the door. They embrace. They give a holy kiss to each other because they're both dead. He walks in. He sees the fellowship of the saints. They all embrace. They give a holy kiss to one another because they're all dead. And Paul's not in sorrow. He's in joy. He's full of joy. Why? Because that home fellowship is full of joy. That home fellowship, there's a, 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 a group of people walking according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, those in the household of Chloe. Picture Paul's joy if he goes into, you know, uh, nominal church number one and then uh, church number two, those in the household of Chloe. Picture Paul's heart. On one, sorrow. Why? His sorrow is a byproduct of another person's choice to walk according to the flesh. In some cases, multiple people's choices to walk according to the flesh. In some cases, multiple people walking according to the flesh, but it's deeper where it's like walking according to the flesh in, you know, fork one, fork two, flesh, fork three, flesh, fork four, flesh, fork five, flesh. And then the fruit of that as well, which is ugly. Picture Paul's sorrow if it goes into nominal church number one. And then picture the exact opposite. You see his joy when he goes into the household of Chloe. Oh, I love you guys so much. And instead of dealing with elementary things in nominal church number one, he can go into Chloe's household and teach deeper things. Why? Because that home fellowship in Chloe's house they have matured. They have graduated. They're no longer in first grade like, you know, nominal church number one. They're not even in second, third, fourth, fifth grade. They're in sixth grade. Maybe they're in tenth grade. I don't know. But because they're in tenth grade, now that they can receive things from for eleventh graders. But things for eleventh graders... You can't give those to the first graders because there's the gap is too big between you know grade one and grade eleven. The gap is too big. Understand that sorrow is a byproduct of disobedience. Joy is a byproduct of obedience. The Lord wants you and me to be joyful, a joyful people. But how can we be joyful when there's Sin. It's not joy. You know, there's the, the world's form of joy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about godly joy. Sometimes, you know, you, you, you go into a Christian home. You go into a Christian home and everybody's like faking it. Laugh. They got these smiles on their face. And it's like, wow, you know, you got this smile on the face, but you got, you, what's up? You got a Ouija board on the coffee table. You see, it's joy is a byproduct of obedience. And I tell you this from experience. I've been in happy-go-lucky times before, but 
I was in hardcore wickedness. And it wasn't happy. It was, a, it was a lie. It was a farce. And I've been in the utmost of joy. And I tell you from experience, it's a byproduct of obedience. I've been in both extremes. I'm not telling you this like you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. I'm telling you, we have to do this. You and me both. And so he says, in verse 3, I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, you see, affliction and anguish of heart, this anguish is to distress Distress and anxiety. Very interesting how Paul is revealing his heart. This affliction and distress and anxiety of heart. Paul is revealing what's going on inside of him internally. Now, understand too, this is the writer of, you know, be anxious for nothing. What he says to the church in Philippi. He says, be anxious for nothing. And yet he's exposing his own anxiety. Oh, there, there, there's uh, 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 the Bible so full of contradictions. You see, he's, he's explaining his anxiety, but then he says, be anxious for nothing. That's what the mockers would say. Uh, you see, there's a contradiction in the Bible. There's no contradiction. When people tell you there's a contradiction in the Bible, you know what? Reverse it because their life is a contradiction to the word of God. And they know it. They just don't want to admit it. Because people love darkness more than the light. But the remnant loves the light. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but there's no period there. There's no period there. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, no period. He says, but in everything, pray, pray. And Paul exposing his own anguish, distress, and anxiety of heart. But the prayer life of Paul? Look at Moses when he came across these situations, a fork in the road. Lord, what do I do? What does he do? He falls on his face. Lord, what do I do? We just studied that on Wednesday. You see? The five beautiful daughters of Zelophehad. They come before him. He's on his face before the Lord. Lord, what do I do? How many times do we see the godly on their face before the Lord? You see it in Moses. You see it in Aaron. We see it in Joshua. The prayer life. Lord, what do I do? Moses, his heart is broken before the Lord. Joshua, his heart is broken before the Lord. Paul, his heart is broken before the Lord. What about you? When your heart is broken before the Lord, when you have affliction and anguish of heart and distress and anxiety of heart, it's not be anxious for nothing, period. Because the the Lord didn't make us as robots. Anxiety is part of the human experience. You're going to experience anxiety. You're going to experience anguish. You're going to experience distress. You're going to experience affliction and other kinds of different emotions. 
feelings. You're going to experience it. It's, it's part of life. But we give it to the Lord. We give it to the Lord. Lord, I'm in distress. Lord, I have this anxiety in my heart. And here's why. He knows already. Here's why, Lord. I don't know what to do. What do I do, Lord? Paul, such a titan in the faith. Not to deify Paul, but a titan nonetheless. Beautiful, beautiful man of God. Beautiful women of God that we see in Scripture. We just studied five of them on Wednesday. And in his anxiety, what does he do? Gives his anxiety to the Lord. We know that the Lord spoke to him and that the Lord, that the Spirit was guiding him because he wrote the letter to 1 Corinthians and other churches too. He wrote a second letter to the church in Corinth and to other churches. To pastors, exhorting the elders out of much affliction and anguish of heart, of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, with many tears. Not that you should be grieved. You see, his objective is not that the people be full of grief. No, his objective is for them to be right with the Lord. And that's what the Lord wants. For his creation to be right with him. Old Testament, New Testament. For the people to be right with God. Not that you should be grieved. And that's very interesting. It's something you see among carnality. Now, you know, you heard me say before. Have you ever corrected another brother or sister? Now, have you ever been on the receiving end of correction? It hurts. It's painful. And I tell you from experience. It's painful. But something happens whenever you're on the receiving end of correction. In your heart of hearts, you have to ask the question, is this person right? Is this person right? And then you go to the scriptures and you seek the face of the Lord. Because if the Lord reveals to you that this person is right, you know, he's also revealing to you a brother or a sister. You see? Because this other or brother or sister is correcting you. It's, it's beautiful. It's the body. The body of Christ, koinonia. As we carry our cross and never, ever, ever, ever forget that our Lord Christ himself had help carrying his own cross. Don't forget that. And Paul says, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. You know how this translates in the Greek? But that you might know the love which I have so more super abundantly for you. It's like out of the ballpark. That's the abundance of love that he has for the church. Now, we're reading this, this writing that he has. We're reading this writing, you know, this inspired by the Spirit. But don't forget that we also have an account of the book of Acts. And we've seen, we've studied 
that the work of his hands, the steps of his feet, the speech of his mouth as an outpouring of his heart, how he goes to synagogue and reasons with the Jews to bring them to Christ, to win them to Christ. He says of himself, I wish that my countrymen, according to the flesh, I wish that my people, according to the flesh, the Jewish people, would come to Christ. And I want that so much that I would be anathema from Christ, separated from Christ. That's how much he loves the people. To be separated from Christ. A trade-off. Lord, take them, not me. So when we have this perspective, it helps us understand this more super abundantly. The love that Paul has for the church in Corinth. Yes, I mean, if you listen to our study, or maybe you remember our study from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that is some hardcore truth. Anybody named a brother who is involved in this, 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 separate from them. Don't even eat with them because that's leaven. And a little leaven leavens the bunch, leavens the whole. You see? A little leaven leavens the whole. That's not good. That cannot happen. I mean, remember, Paul leaves Corinth. Paul leaves town. He leaves Corinth. It's not just immediate. It's not like, you know, two months later, everybody started doing drugs, having sex, all these things. No, this is in the course of three years. What happened after, you know, two-month intervals? Say Paul left on January 1st. What happens, you know, March 1st? What happens June 1st? What happens, you know, two months or three months later? <laughs> I don't mean the lap, but I'm, like, I'm thinking like in my head, I'm like thinking, okay, June, July, August, September 1st. October 1st. What happens in those intervals? Maybe, you know, after two months or three months, you don't see the works of the flesh. You don't see like people actually, you know, getting high, doing their drugs, doing their alcohol, being an extortioner, a reviler, doing the, being sexually immoral. You might not see it after two months, but what's going on in their mind? Are they thinking about it? No, you nor me can enter the mind of a man, the mind of a woman. But the Lord can. And truth needs to be taught so that the people know, hey, this sex, this drugs, don't mess around with that stuff. The people need to know. They need to know that, you know, don't do this, don't do this, it's not good. You need to have Old Testament examples. This is what the Lord did. The Lord is reactionary. This is what the Lord did in Korah. And these things were shown to us as an example. The people need to hear. They need to know so that if their mind goes off into crazy town, they can realize, well, my, my elder told me not to, my elder, elder told me this was bad. And he pointed to the Bible. My pastor told me that, you know, this is bad. And we did a study on this. And so my mind is going here. And Lord, forgive me. 
because my pastor said this and we studied in the Bible. It's not my pastor saying it. You know, it's actually in the Bible. I read, followed on. My fingers were going along with every, every jot and every tittle. My fingers were following along and I read it for myself and the pastor taught about it. And he told me that the sex was bad, you know, and don't, you know, sex is good, but within marriage, but sex is bad, you know, no prostitutes, you know, no married and you have, you, you know, five prostitutes on the side. None of that. No strip clubs. None of that. That's not good. And so now, you know, a guy's going to think about that and be like, whoa, you know, that's not good. Lord, forgive me. Friend's going to call, hey, let's go to the strip club tonight. And a guy might think about it for like two seconds and then boom, Holy Spirit conviction. Like, nope, I'm not doing that. And then, you know, hang up the phone, bye, hang up the phone and then falls on his face before the Lord. Lord, forgive me because my friend, you know. He said he wanted to go do this, and I'm not going to do that. And, you know, he invited me, and I thought about it for two seconds. Forgive me, Lord, because my mind went off in crazy town. And this guy who I thought was my friend, he knows that I'm a Christian. He knows that I told him before I'm not doing that stuff anymore, and he, he, he wants me to go. He's, he's being persistent, so, Lord, I'm going to cut this off. I'm not going to call him anymore because he's a... A bad influence. His character corrupts my character. You see? These are choices that you have to make. I have to make them too. But I tell you these things from experience. And do you think these things are not happening in the church? (laughs) They are. They surely are. Egregious, egregious things. Egregious things. Pastors, youth leaders who like to get drunk. And not just they like to get drunk, but they're like buzzing all the time. Don't tell anybody this, but I like to be buzzed all the time. And so like I even have a right. They pull out a flask. Look, here's my flask. But don't tell anybody. Meanwhile, they're teaching the kids. Pouring into the kids. That's not new wine going into, into the kids. No. New wine can only be contained by new wineskins. Not old wineskins. Biblically speaking. You see? You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and see like, wow, this is so mean. Paul is so mean. How could he do that? I could, I, I could understand that. When he tells a guy, commit such a guy to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Separate from these guys. Anybody named a brother, separate from them. I could, you, know, you could tell me that, you know, oh, that's so mean. How could Paul do that? And I would understand you. But we have to understand the Bible and understand what godly love is, what love is as defined by the Word of God. You know, if you let the world define what love is, you're going to be in a whole world of mess. Because the world has a definition for love. But God has a different definition for love. With many tears. I wonder what that parchment looked like. I wonder what that parchment looked like. If you could see the polka dots all over the place. Which were Paul's tears. And the ink blotting on every page. I wonder what that parchment looked like in that first letter to Corinth. I wonder what the parchment looked like in the second letter to Corinth. 
I wrote to you, he says in verse 4, with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might have the that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent. Now we see the impact on the body. The impact on the body of Christ. I mean, look at the church in First Corinthians chapter four and compare that with First Corinthians chapter six. I'm speaking populace-wise. How many people do you think got up and left at the reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 5? How many people do you... Well, maybe not they got up and left, but for, certainly for one, one for sure was, you know, shown the door. Commit such a one for Satan, to Satan, for the destruction of the flesh. But think of the ones who said, you know what? This is my last time here. I'm not, I'm not going to get up and walk out, but it is my last time here. I'm not coming anymore. Paul's too mean-spirited. He's so judgmental. Don't judge me, Paul, lest you be judged. Now, I can understand, you know, if, if the, the guy who was in the egregious sexual sin, if he started to, to judge a extortioner, or a drunkard, or a reviler, or another sexually immoral person, if he started to judge, then that comes into play, judge not lest you be judged. Because look at the hypocrisy and the works of the flesh in, the, in, in that particular individual. But when Paul says it, it's different. Where do you see his works of the flesh? No, he's dead. He's crucified with Christ. He's dead. Now you see the impact on the body because the body of Christ and the body of Christ in Corinth at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, once that great divide happens in chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it's a different population because not even to eat with such a brother. Because they're leaven. The leaven is now outside the camp. Look at the impact it's had on the body. A smaller populace, a smaller population. The impact it has had on the body, the grief it has caused to the body of Christ. And Paul says here, not to be too severe. And how it translates in the Greek is not to be too severe. It's that I may not be too severe or overimposing on the whole, you see? Now, in every single fellowship, you're going to have the work varying, all kinds of variations of the works of the flesh and the work of the works of the spirit. You're going to have all different kinds of variations at all different intervals, at all different levels. You're going to see it, you're going to have it. But the word must still be taught. The word of God still needs to be taught. Don't forget, you know, I, I reference this quite a bit, and I'm going to keep referencing it. <clears throat> I'm not going to stop referencing it. Luke chapter 12, verse 51. Our Lord says this. He says, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? He says, I tell you not at all, but rather division. Those are his words, not mine. I'm just the messenger. 
Not at all, he says, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Those are his words, not mine. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. Those were his words. And when truth goes forth, it divides. Now put yourself in a pastoral position. Put yourself in pastoral shoes. Say you're at a pulpit. And you're teaching a congregation. On one side, you have obedience. On the other side, you have disobedience. And within those two halves, you have all kinds of variations of the works of the flesh. To those where you see disobedience, as a result of their choices, certain verses come into play, certain Certain parts of scripture, certain aspects of truth come into play. Where, you know, you know, uh, this form of correction will not be in play for an obedient brother or sister in Christ. But it definitely is for this individual. It definitely is for this guy, for this gal. Because of their disobedience. It's a result of their disobedience. So from a pastor's perspective, you know, when Paul is saying this, when he, when he says uh, uh, in, at the end of verse 5, not to be too severe, and how that translates in the Greek is that I may not be too severe or overimposing on the whole. You see? Is he going to take these verses, these, these truths from Holy Scripture and apply them to everybody? When it's just for the disobedient? And these verses are now coming into play as a result of their disobedience? What about the ones who are obedient? In my earlier example of uh, 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 church number one, and then church number two being Chloe's house, is Paul going to go into the nominal church number one and, and impose these Corrective actions scripturally. Impose sounds too, you know, overimposing, but that's what he's doing. When he says, you know, take this guy and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, anybody named a brother, separate from them. Is he going to employ those? attributes of Holy Scripture in this nominal church, number one, and then all of a sudden walk across town into those in the household of Chloe, into, into Chloe's house, and impose the exact same things? No way. Because you have obedience in Chloe's house. What is... What is employed scripturally, the, the, the scripture and doctrine and methods of correction that are employed in, in nominal church number one are entirely different from church number two, those in the household of Chloe. Entirely different. Because in Chloe's house, you have obedience. In the other house, you have disobedience. 
You see, in one, the nominal church number one, Paul is sorrowful. He has sorrow. It's not his fault. It's a result of their choices. It's a result of their disobedience. And yes, there's going to be these corrective measures for that church. But is the exact same thing in Chloe's household? Not at all. Paul is joyful in in Chloe's household because he sees, wow, they're in truth. You don't see the sex, the alcohol, the the, 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 uh, uh, reviling, the extortion. You don't see that in Chloe's household. Chloe's household was the ones that reported to Paul what was happening in the church. Oh, they were gossiping. They were gossiping. No, 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 no. That's not gossip. The carnal call it gossip. They were reporting to Paul. And praise the Lord for those in the household of Chloe because, you know, nominal church number one had nominal pastors, nominal elders, defunct pastors, defunct elders. And where you have this absence of uh, uh, leadership amongst the pastors and elders, step aside. You know, activate those in the household of Chloe. You see? Going to the male covering, Paul. Paul, we got an issue. It's not gossip. The carnal call it gossip. Because they don't want their carnality to be exposed. But the Lord divides. The Lord divides. It's such a trip because, you know, if, if you're listening for the first time and you're like, what is he talking about? I don't get it. We're in chapter two, but he keeps talking about chapter one. Well, it's the same church, First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, the church in Corinth. Try really hard. Purpose in your heart. I say, you know, I don't want to lord over your faith. So I don't want, you know, if I did, I'd say, listen to chapter one, but I don't want to. Try really hard. To listen to 1 Corinthians, all of it. 1 Corinthians, the entire thing. Because you're going to see we go through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, 4, all the way to the end. You see the dangers of arrested development, being a, a babe in Christ. Being a babe in Christ is beautiful for the baby. But then you and me both, we have to mature and grow in Christ. And Paul says here at the end of verse 5, when he says not to be too severe, that I might not be too severe or or overimposing on the whole. He's not going to go into Chloe's household and say, hey, separate. Anybody named a brother, separate from them. No, he doesn't have to do that to those in the household of Chloe. And now the household in Chloe, the household of Chloe, now because nominal church number one, because the, 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 the guy has been committed to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, now because uh, uh, the leaven has been dealt with and is now outside the camp, now you have a remnant inside of nominal church number one, and I won't even call them nominal anymore. They're on a good pathway to growth and maturity, and now those in the household of Chloe can have fellowship with church number one. Because you don't have the the sexual guys hitting on Chloe. You know, those who are having, you know, wanton sex. They're not, you know, getting too chummy with Chloe. 
Chloe's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go to church number one because you know there's a bunch of wolves over there. I'm not gonna go there. But now that the leaven has been dealt with, the wolves are gone. The guy has been committed to Satan. Now Chloe can be in comfort, in peace, going to church number one, fellowshipping with them, you know, taking the women under her wing and you know, teaching them, pouring into them. You see, the church in Corinth. The leaven outside the camp. Now, the leaven that's outside the camp, remember there's a three-year gap between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Does that mean this leaven that's outside the camp, are they just going to burn in hell? No way. No way. Because just like the Old Testament, when so, in, in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, if we were in tabernacle days, like say we go in a time machine. And we go to tabernacle days and we're Gentiles and we're grafted into the camp of Israel because remember there's provisions in the law to be grafted into Israel and partake of the, the, the law. I'm not advocating the law, but there are provisions in the law for Gentile believers to join Israel. Now say in the camp of Israel, there's, you know, 10 people of the tribe of Dan. And they're doing all kinds of sex and worshiping Baals. That's not good. They're going to be dealt with. And say, for example, all of a sudden, in, in amongst these ten, a couple people get leaven, or, or a couple people have a, a, a leprosy. They become lepers. Now, what's that going to do? Say, like five people become lepers. What's that going to say to the other five? They better get their heart right with the Lord. They better sacrifice to the Lord. So they can be right with the Lord. So five people have been identified that are lepers. Now because they are lepers, now they are outside the camp. They have to go outside the camp because there's no leprosy in Israel. Or there is leprosy, but there can't be leprosy. So now they're outside the camp. Now, are they outside the camp to burn in hell for Sheol? No. But they're outside the camp nonetheless. Now there's... Multiple aspects of what needs to happen here. Now, the priest, a male priest, needs to inspect the leprosy. You can't have a carnal priest that, you know, say it's a female, a female leper. You can't have a female say, hey, a priest, I think I'm a leper. I have, or I think, yeah, I think I'm a leper because I have this leprosy, you know, here. And then the priest says, okay, let's go into these chambers. It's just you in here, here. So, you know, disrobe, show me this. Do you know how dangerous that is for a carnal priest? No, there's multiple aspects. Holiness needs to be in the camp of Israel, in the entirety of Israel. And that's what you see in Eli's wicked sons. That's what they were doing, stuff like that. They were dirty themselves. So the priest is going to turn around and say, okay, you know, disrobe, isolate what, you're, what you say is the leprosy and tell me when you're ready. And it's okay. It's just them two, them two in a tent, all, everything concealed. And so the female does her deal, you know, isolates whatever, isolates the leprosy, wherever it is. And she says, okay, the priest turns around, looks at the leprosy and only the leprosy. And says, yes, this is leprosy. Now we have to go outside the camp. You have to go outside the camp, but I'm going to walk with you. We have to go outside the camp. No car. How dead the priest has to be. 
how dead this priest has to be. No carnality, not like Eli's wicked sons. So now they're outside the camp. The priest says, okay, you're going to stay here and, you know, I'm going to come and check on you. I'm going to give you your breakfast, your lunch and dinner. I'll bring it out to you. And I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to go back to the camp of Israel. I'm going to be praying for you. Meanwhile, the other, the five people in the camp of, in the, in the camp of Dan, they're on there, you know, the, the, pre, the, 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 the other Levites, you know, they're also doing the, the sacrifices of what is being offered by these other five in the tribe of Dan. Because they have to be right. They were so freaked out. Now, the fear of the Lord is a good thing. And then, so now they're doing their own sacrifice. They're sacrificing and making their offerings to the Lord. And so the Levites are doing the process of the law. And the whole objective is so people can be right with the Lord. So a week passes, two two weeks pass. The priest comes out. You know, gets close to the leper. And the leper has to cry out, has to shout out, unclean, unclean. The acknowledgement that she's dirty. She's a leper. You see? The acknowledgement of that. Male, female, it doesn't matter. You have to cry out, unclean, unclean. The acknowledgement of your own uncleanness. And then, you know, he comes out the next day and he doesn't hear the shout out of unclean. He has a little smile on his face. Could it be that she's healed? And then all of a sudden the priest says, hey, I thought, you know, are, are you healed? And she says, I think so. He says, okay, let me check. But then they go in their little chamber. Let me check, you know. I'm going to turn around. You disrobe, isolate the thing, and isolate the where, where, where it was lep- leprosy. And we're going to check you out. He turns around. And then all of a sudden, she does her deal and says, okay, I'm ready. He turns around, looks, and looks only at that area. Says, wow, okay, the leprosy is gone. The Lord has healed you. You are clean again. You are no longer unclean. And since you're no longer unclean, come on, let's go back into the camp of Israel. And it's not just like, okay, let's go back in the camp. Everything's fine and dandy. No, there's a process that needs to happen. You need to sacrifice an offer. You can go back to the tribe of Dan, but you can't go in your tent. You have to stay in this extra separate tent. Lest those in your household be defiled. There's a process for being cleansed. Included in that process, blood. Life for life, there has to be blood. You see? Let's go back in the camp and then, you know, all of a sudden, say it's a poor lady and she brings a turtle dove. She doesn't have the, you know, the, the, the ox. She doesn't have, the, you know, sheep, you know. So she brings her offering to the Lord. It's to the Lord, but she gives it to the priest. How beautiful that is to see like, wow, you know, three weeks ago, a month ago, we were walking outside the camp and you were, you were a leper. And you were a leper as a result of being unclean. And it was exposed. Your leprosy was exposed. And it broke my heart to walk outside the camp. And then all of a sudden, in doing the offering, the procession, all these things, in, in, in following the Levitical law, to like have like tears streaming down your face. And you're so full of joy that all of a sudden, she's now clean again. Making her offering. Her heart is now right before the Lord brought back inside the camp. 
I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form, but I'm giving an Old Testament example of this New Covenant truth, this New Testament, what we do, the exact same thing. Because what Paul says here in verse 6, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. Now, for such a man, it's not. there's no singularity here. It, it translates in the Greek as of this sort. It's not just one man. Of this sort. Remember the leaven. Always reference the leaven here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So that in verse 7, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him. You see, very, understand there's this three-year gap between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. You ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. You see? Now, understand, sorrow, it's very, very dangerous to be leavened today. It's, it's been dangerous before 100 years ago, 200 years ago, but today it's very, very dangerous to be leavened. Don't be leavened. Don't be leavened. But it's very dangerous today to be leavened. And I'll tell you why. Because we live in a culture where you can walk outside of one church and you have churches on every street corner. We live in a culture where everybody, oh, let's just love on this person. Let's just love on this person. Let's just love on this person and let God take care of the rest. Biblically, God uses his vessels to take care of leaven. And I don't mean take care of like, you know, hey, take care of this guy. I don't mean take care like, you know, in a mafia sense. But I mean, take care of like, you know, these things have to be addressed and biblically these things need to be handled. And it's very dangerous today because, you know, in this world that we live in, there is such a thing as worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow. And I tell you from experience, will lead you to the bottle. Will lead you to the lines. Will lead you to the sexcapades will lead you to the fill in the blank that's what worldly sorrow does and worldly sorrow you know you have worldly pastors the tricksters the hucksters and they'll tell you who are peddling the word of god they'll tell you oh yeah you know come here we're just, we're just gonna love on you we're just gonna love on you it's very dangerous to be leavened today do you know why because the leaven isn't dealt with that's worldly sorrow but godly sorrow, and I tell you from experience, godly sorrow leads to repentance. Because you taste, you taste the fruit of your own doing. And it's bitter. It is bitter. And I tell you from experience. Godly sorrow is beautiful. You say, how can sorrow be beautiful? Well, where does it lead you? Does your sorrow lead you to crack? Does your worldly sorrow, does it lead you to, you know, the alcohol, the bottle, the wild turkey? Does it lead you to the strip clubs? Does it lead you to the sexcapades? Does it lead you to whatever? Does it lead you to the ayahuasca? Or does your sorrow lead you to repentance? Does your sorrow lead you to, you know, uh, the false teacher who says, oh, we're just going to love on you? No. 
the leper can't remain a leper and come into the camp. Otherwise, all of Israel will be infected. The leper can't come into the camp. And I'm interchanging the law and under grace, but I'm painting a picture here. You see, carnality can't be in the camp. The leper can't be in the camp. Sin can't be in the camp. Now, sin will find its way in the camp. It, it, I mean, we're, we're in these earth suits. But we learn from our mistakes. We learn from our mistakes. And we grow and we mature. You're still going to make mistakes. You're always going to make mistakes. Don't forget, it's the, it's the, uh, 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 the mortal which will put on immortality. It's the corrupt, emphasis on corrupt, which will put on incorruption one day. Not today, but one day. And in this state of corruption, we need to learn. We need to yield to the Word of God and yield to the Spirit. And be obedient to Christ and His Word. And it's a choice. But even still, leprosy can't come into the camp. Carnality, these works of the flesh, can't be in the camp. Look at the Corinthian model. Three years. Three years. Look at the sin in, 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 in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That's three years. The sex, the alcohol, the reviling, the extortioner. Look at those works of the flesh and Paul says that's leaven. Don't even eat with such a person. Now, look at the church today. 10 years leaven, 20 years leaven, 30 years leaven. Meanwhile, you know, everybody's speaking in tongues. I'm not, you know, mocking the gift of tongues, but everybody's speaking. You have a church of 500 people and 500 people are speaking in tongues. Disorder. There's no order. And where you see disorder in the house of God, the works of the flesh, Either shortly follow, but if it's been there a while, you definitely see the works of the flesh. You see the drugs, you see the alcohol, you see this, you see that. You see all kinds of works of the flesh. Where you see disorder in a fellowship, you'll also see disorder in the homes. You'll also see disorder in the marriages. You'll also see disorder in the workplace. You'll see everything. You'll see disorder. There has to be order in the fellowships. You know, two people speaking in tongues, there has to be an interpreter. At most, three people speaking in tongues, there has to be an interpreter. If, that, if a church doesn't have that, can't meet that criteria, don't speak in tongues. So 500 people speaking in tongues doesn't align with the Bible. Now, if you're Pentecostal, you know, charismatic, I love you. But there still needs to be order in the fellowship. I'm just saying, where you see disorder in a fellowship, you see the pastors that, you know, elders that they want to be everybody's friend. And it's fine, you being everybody's friend, that's beautiful. But are you a friend of God or not, pastor, elder? Because if you're a friend of God, you have a job to do. You have a job to do. To keep the house clean. 
keep the Lord's house clean. You see? You know, exercise grace and mercy, but you still have a job to do. To correct another brother, to correct another sister. You can't be a hypocrite. You can't be carnal. But still has to be done. That's why I say it's very dangerous to be leavened today. Because if you're an elder, if you're a pastor, you can be obedient to the Lord and tell a brother, hey, you know, this isn't for you. Because of this, you know, we've talked about this for the past seven months, you know, and we had this action plan and we put these things into play that weren't into play for this guy. They weren't into play for this lady because they're not even dealing with this sin. That's not even on them. They're obedient to the Lord. It's for you. And now this needs to happen. And because it hasn't happened this time and this time and this time and this time and you're still partaking of communion? No. I love you. And this fellowship isn't for you. Because a pastor has to feed the flock and also protect the flock. Now to be leaven, and I've been in that state of leaven, I tell you from experience, what godly sorrow produces is beautiful. It's painful. I'm not going to deny that. It's painful. But what it produces, I have no words for it. It's so beautiful. I don't even know if, if there's a word in our vocabulary to describe it. It is beyond beauty. But it's dangerous to be leavened because a person can go to church number two, church number three, and have the pastor tickle their ears. Whisper sweet nothings into their ear. Tickle, 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 tickle. Oh, yeah, you want to have this sex with the, you're married and you want to have this sex and with, you know, with whoever. Prostitute number one, prostitute number two. Tickle, tickle. God is love. God loves you. Tickle, tickle. You want to do your crack? The finest, the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Tickle, tickle. No big deal. God is love. God loves you. Meanwhile, you have leaven that has entered a different fellowship. And leaven that hasn't been dealt with leavens the bunch, leavens the whole. What is the impact on that fellowship? Oh, out there you say that we're full of the Spirit. Look, 500 people are speaking in tongues. Proof is in the pudding. Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. You see? No. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. You see? I don't want to get ahead of myself. But if you look at chapter 7, verse 10, Godly chapter 7, verse 10, 2 Corinthians, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted but the sorrow of the world produces death you see worldly sorrow and godly sorrow both are painful both are painful but both have entirely different pathways both are painful i could even say equally painful But which door will you choose? I mean, if you're living. (laughs) 
If you've been identified as Levin, which door will you choose? Both are equally painful. But one is righteous. You see? The other produces death. Levin has to be dealt with. I can't, I can't stress that enough. Even more so in these last days, the leaven has to be dealt with. But in these last days, as you have churches that are either false, apostate, on their way to apostasy, or true, you know what that is? That's 75%. 75% are either wrong or on the pathway to wrong. Do you think they're going to deal with leaven? see now if you're a pastor if you're an elder everybody will hate you everybody will hate you they'll call you names they'll call you stupid they'll call you crazy they'll call you everything under the sun but you have to be obedient to the Lord no matter what no matter who no matter situations, no matter what, you have to be obedient to the Lord. Even when people hate you, even when they want your head, you say, here, take my head. I've been dead for decades. They're doing you a favor. <laughs> because to live is Christ, to die is gain. Take my head. I've never wanted this thing. You see? And so what happens when leaven has been dealt with? This person is outside the camp. Look at verse 7. So that, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Now, do you remember our study on the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14? Tongues can't do this. The gift of tongues can't do this. Interpretation can't do this. Prophecy can't do this. But the greatest gift can do this. Love. You see? The restoration. Now, don't forget, this division that we referred to in 1 Corinthians, you know, when the Lord divides, I mean, we, we kind of, after chapter 5, there was a lot of reference to division, the division that the Lord brings. Do you suppose I came to bring peace, the Lord says? No, I came to divide. Those are his words. And after chapter 5, there was, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a lot of mention of the Lord divides. The Lord divides, truth divides, truth divides. And now that we have this understanding of what the division that the Lord does, what it does for the remnant, the leaven is outside the camp. Now, Take this remnant. This remnant is different. Consecrated. Set apart. And after three years now, the distance, the gap between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, now that this, this remnant, the leaven has been dealt with, now that they've matured after three years, they're growing, they're maturing in Christ. Now, the drunkard, the reviler, 
the sexually immoral, the extortioner, now these people, the remnant, they're equipped to handle this person. Now, the person could come back and maybe tasted godly sorrow. Maybe they repented. Oh, I miss you. You know, you guys, you guys are my best friends. I didn't realize it at the time. You're my best friends. You're my family. You're my brother. You're my sister in Christ. I love you. I missed you guys. I've repented to the Lord. Such a soul is right with God. And then say after two months, the guy starts thinking, you know, oh, I repented of my sex. And now I start thinking about the sex. And I think next month I'm going to start doing the sex. And then the person's going to, that guy's going to talk to another brother who has, in the course of this three years, has been maturing in Christ as the remnant. That brother's going to say, don't you dare do that. Don't you dare do that. You know what that got you. Don't you remember? I used to party with you. Don't you remember when we did that? We were in that lifestyle. This egregious sin. That was an abomination before the Lord. Why are we going to do that? When God paid for you with the blood of His Son. Now you have this remnant that is like... Ministry now. Ministering to this guy, like, okay, you know, you know, before you do that, brother, think about where your mind is going. You need to repent. Why do I have to repent? I didn't do anything. You're thinking about it. You're the one that asked me about it. You're the one that invited me to go with you. And number one, I'm not going with you. Number two, you need to repent because your mind is in crazy town. Your mind is filthy before the Lord. You need to repent. Oh, but I haven't done anything. No. Because we, you and me both, have to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You've exposed to me that you haven't done that. And I'm telling you, you need to repent. Oh, don't judge me lest you be judged. You know, that could fly 10 years ago, brother. But it's not going to fly today. You know why? Because I've taken the plank out of my own eye. I'm not a hypocrite. You need to repent. You see? And the guys, wow, you're different. Man, I remember when we used to party together. And, you know, we were both living in the slums. And now, you know, I'm a little bit out of the slums, but I look at your life and it's like, wow, you don't have this mess anymore. It's the salt that hasn't lost its flavor And then all of a sudden, the guy is like, wow, you know what? I've earned a brother even more so than I, what I thought because this guy is looking out for my soul even when he tells me things that are painful. You see? This remnant is now equipped because for the past three years, they've been rolling around on the mat training how to fight. Equipped. For the work of the ministry. And now this guy is ministering to this other guy. That's how it happens. But in these last days. When you have the large majority. 75%. If you take my little. Uh, 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 math equation. The four. You know. False. Apostate. On its way to apostasy. And true. 75%. Do you think they're going to correct the leaven? Do you think they're going to address the leaven? 
You see? Godly sorrow is beautiful because of what it leads to. Repentance and salvation. And now this remnant is able to minister themselves. In verse 9, Paul says this, For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test. Very interesting. A little, uh, you know, not an ulterior motive, but, you know, a secondary motive. I mean, have you ever said something to somebody and it's to evoke a response in one area, but then also a response in multiple areas? Not that you're being, you know, subversive. But you're just wanting to know that, like what Paul is saying here, for to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test. That proof testing is what he's doing to test your trustworthiness. The test on the remnant. Whether you are obedient in all things. This obedience is to listen, to hear, to submit, to heed, and to conform. Now, I'll say this. You remember how I said it's dangerous to be uh, leaven? And I gave you the reason why? Don't be leaven. Don't be leaven. If you're identified as leaven, uh, godly sorrow. Choose the door of godly sorrow. Don't choose the door of worldly sorrow. Because godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. But even verse 9 also has its share of dangers. Because whether you are obedient in all things. Now take that 75% equation of the churches that won't refuse to deal with leaven. And take the pastors of 75% of those fellowships. 75% of the church. Take those pastors. Now, if such a pastor in that 75% says, I'm testing you to see whether you're obedient in all things. Whether you listen, you hear, you submit and heed and conform. Are you going to receive that counsel of the majority? Are you going to receive the counsel of the 75% churches? Because a pastor today can say, I'm going to see if you're going to submit. And, you know, let's go grave soaking. I'm going to see if you're going to submit. So, you know, let's go ahead and let's get these. Let's get the mark of the beast. I'm going to go ahead and, you know, I'm going to see if you're going to submit. So let's join the BDS movement against Israel, anti-Israel movement. You see, very, very treacherous times. I have never, never, ever in my life been more fearful for the bride of Christ than I am today. And it's going to get worse. Because there are tricksters and hucksters on every corner. You have to be a Berean. You have to be a lover of truth. Even when it hurts. You have to. You must. Because there's tricksters on every corner. The hucksters, hirelings, even wolves on every corner. A pastor, oh, I'm going to see if you're going to submit to my authority, female. So therefore, let's do this. You see, you think it doesn't happen? You're mistaken. It does happen. People think it's of the Lord. 
Not the Bereans. The Bereans know it's not of the Lord. But you have to be a Berean. For 75%, I mean, just that, it's kind of an easy equation based on prophecy. But the church, four camps, a, a false apostate on its way to apostasy or true. That means 25 are in a good camp, 25% in a good camp. Now, of that 25%, 50% are foolish. 50% are wise. Behold the remnant. You have to be a Berean. You have to love truth. No matter who hates you, no matter what they say, they're going to make fun of you, they're going to call you crazy, they're going to call you a legalist. But the proof is in the pudding. Look at the fruit. That's a nasty pudding that they have too. The proof is in the pudding. Paul is saying here. Now, this isn't Joe Schmo saying it. He's, you know, it's not Joe Schmo saying, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you're obedient in all things. This is Paul. Brother Paul. A beautiful vessel of the Lord. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. That's incredible. The remnant is in one accord with Paul, koinonia. Oneness, one spirit, one mind, and that of Christ. Whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that, that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now, remember, to be right with God requires repentance. But it also requires forgiveness. It also requires forgiveness. If you and me are transforming to the image of Christ, forgiveness must happen. I mean, as much as, you know, it's kind of easy to, to identify leaven. Oh, this is leaven, this is leaven. I mean, in that regard, it, it, it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy to identify leaven. It's not easy, but it's easier in some regards than it is to forgive. Okay, we've identified leaven. Now the leaven's going to be dealt with. That It gets a little bit harder, you see? We're not the defunct. We're not among the defunct. So leaven is identified, which is, you know, it's not, it's not easy, but it gets a little bit more difficult. Now the leaven has to be dealt with. It gets a little bit more difficult. And when leaven has been identified and dealt with, we're still praying for these individuals. Even though they said, I hate you, I hate you, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to do these things, you're such a legalist, you guys are so judgmental, you're stupid, whatever. Even when they hate you, you're on your face before the Lord on their behalf for them, for their souls. It helps you. It keeps your heart soft before the Lord, a people of the circumcision. Not in accordance to the law, but the law of faith. 
hearken to our study through Romans. Now, they as leaven are outside the camp. Some walk through the door of worldly sorrow. Now, they're on their way to possibly burning in hell if they don't repent. But others walk in their sorrow. Some walk through the door of worldly sorrow. Some walk through the door of godly sorrow. And it led to repentance, which leads to salvation. Now they come back in the camp. Now, they've done their end. The Lord has done a mighty work. But the work isn't done yet. What's that? What has to happen within the remnant? What's that, what has to happen? Forgiveness. You see, all these things gets a little more. Identify the leaven. That's a little more difficult. Dealing with the leaven. That's a little more difficult. Praying for the ones who hate you, who want you dead. A little more difficult. They take the door of godly sorrow. The difficulty on their part has already been done. I mean, when you're leaven, it's difficult. It's sorrow being in a state of sorrow, it's difficult, very difficult. And when it's dealt with in a godly manner, which leads to repentance, which leads to salvation, praise be to the Lord. It's still difficult. Because you have to wrestle with all kinds of different... a A soul has to admit their error. Which because of the pride of life, which will be amplified in the last days, people will be prideful, lovers of self, boasters. It's good. That aspect will be more difficult in the last days, which means that leaven, if it's even dealt with, more than likely will be worldly sorrow, where people will go to huckster number one, huckster number two. Or they'll go back to their crack, their alcohol. They'll go back to their sex capes. Knowing the conditions of the last days. But for the one that had godly sorrow, which led to repentance and salvation, that person now comes back inside the camp. Forgiveness has happened with the Lord. And forgiveness must happen with His vessels. Because it's the same spirit. I'm not trying to gloss over things and say that forgiveness is a piece of cake. And when you wrestle with this forgiveness, that must happen. Just as we looked at in verse 4. The affliction and anguish and distress and anxiety of heart. Just as this anxious writer, Paul, says, Be anxious for nothing, no period, but in all things pray, so too you must do. You take it to the Lord. You give it to the Lord. And He will help you. You see? Because the fight is very real. So we see here in verse 10, for if, any, if, for if in 
for if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, you see. For we are not ignorant of his devices, you see. We are not ignorant of these things. You and me know that Satan is on the prowl. Satan roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. And he has his minions with him. Now, if you see a pack of lions outside your door, very, very dangerous environment. In order to enter this dangerous environment, you yourself have to be very dangerous. You see? In Christ. I'm not talking about dangerous like you know carnally. You need to be dangerous in Christ. Because the world in which we live is a very, very dangerous place. Very dangerous place. Minefields everywhere. Everything. Things that can make you fall. Satan wants you to fall. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. And not just you, everybody in your household, everybody you love, he wants to destroy and kill. And it's a very dangerous place that we live in. But yet, there's fish. A people who God is long-suffering for. You see? Furthermore, in closing, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother, now, this is a future pastor. Titus is a future pastor. Okay? There's no mention of Titus in 1 Corinthians, but in 2 Corinthians we, Corinthians, we see Titus. He says, But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now, do you remember in our study through Acts, in Acts 16, verse 9, Paul gets the, uh, uh, the vision to go to Macedonia? That's what he's referencing here in verse 13. I departed for Macedonia. The Holy Spirit was leading him. Paul riding the wave. In verse 14, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Do you remember how when we started our study in Leviticus, I proposed a challenge. I didn't propose. I posed a challenge. And I, my challenge was this. For us, you and me, for us. To think of our lives, every aspect of our lives, every essence of our lives, externally and internally. To think of our lives as an aroma unto the Lord. What is the aroma that you want to present to the Lord? Do you want to be stench or do you want to be nice, beautiful and sweet smelling aroma? Now, understand too. That that fragrance, yes, it's unto the Lord. But it's also among everybody you go at home, at work, at school, at the gas station, at the grocery store, at the shopping store, at the mall, at this, there, everywhere you go, in the kitchen, in the bathroom, in the family room, and at the park. Your neighbor invites you over for a barbecue. You go to a barbecue. Your, the fragrance, everywhere you go, it's there. And I love this through us. He says, now thanks be to God who, who, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses. the. You know, we live in the age of uh, essential oils. 
the age of essential oil. Coronavirus comes, everybody's, oh, get your essential oil. You know, all these things hit, you know, virus this, virus that, essential oil. And when you have your essential oil, it has a diffuser. This diffuses, translates as to manifest. But even essential oils have their diffusers. It's to spread. That's what it's like for you and me. This fragrance diffusing and being spread everywhere you go. At home, at work, at school, at the park, at the grocery store, at the wherever, wherever you go. Because you've made a choice. You want, to, you want your every essence of your being to be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. And yes, it's pleasing to the Lord. But this aroma is also everywhere you go. Have you ever been around the aroma of godly people? Male, female, young, old. Have you ever been around the aroma in this bubble? This holy bubble? Have you ever experienced the scent of godliness? It's... I, I have no words for it. It's home. It feels like home. And it's beautiful. He says this in verse 15. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. What is written here translates as the sweet scent of Christ. The sweet scent of Christ is being diffused. Call us essential oil. <laughs> it's being diffused everywhere you go. At home, at work. It's being diffused. School, the park, with your friends, your family, go visit family. It's being diffused. Everywhere. It's, it's making its way to the throne room of grace. But it's also making its way in every corner of where you're at. If, you know, what scent are you presenting? You do the works of the flesh. You, you know, you, 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 you do the works of the flesh to where, you know, you have this abundance of the works of the flesh and you're leaven, like, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the extortioner, the reviler, the drunkard, the, uh, the sexually immoral. That's stench. That's not a sweet aroma. That's stench. But you're obedient unto Christ. Whew, that's. I really have no words for that. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. No period. We are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing. This scent. This sweet scent. This fragrance of Christ it's being diffused everywhere you go. And when you being godly are with another person who's godly, it feels like home. It's beautiful. But this scent it's also in the nostrils of the ungodly. It also makes its way in the nostrils of the wicked. In verse 16 to 1, we are, we are the aroma of death leading to death. These are the ones who hate you. These are the ones who hate you and will hate you and it will get worse. 
Today's hatred upon the saint is, you know, you're crazy, you know, you're foolish, you're too judgmental, you know, you're a legalist. That's today's hatred. But tomorrow, it's just going to get worse. Tomorrow they'll be saying, you know, off with your head. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, the, the, the aroma of life leading to life. This is koinonia, family. Among those saved and those being saved. You see? Just as is written here in verse 15, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the nostrils, nostrils of the godly and the ungodly. The righteous and the wicked. And among the righteous, it's family. It's koinonia. And it feels like home. But on the ungodly, today, they'll call you names. Judgmental, legalist, you know, you're too strict, you know, you're crazy, you lost your mind. Very interesting because biblically, when you, oh, you're crazy, you're crazy. People say, oh, you lost your mind, you're crazy, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're too hardcore, you're a legalist. All you have to do is look at the fruit. The proof is in the pudding. And like, as I said before, it's nasty pudding. Well, it's leaven. Is it the, is it the leaven that says those things? It's, it's sad, it's sorrowful. You can be full of sorrow. Because you know the path that they're on. It's not a good path. And you can pray for them. You see? To keep your heart soft before the Lord. The aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Who is competent for these things? Who is able for these things? Who is fit in character for these things? For we are not as so many, the majority, notice here, we are not as so many peddling the word of God. Peddling, which is retailing and adulterating for gain. Paul is saying, we're not peddlers of the word of God. We're not peddling the word of God. That's the majority. The majority of people, the majority of these peddlers, that's what they are. They're peddlers. Adulterating for gain the word of God. That's not us, Paul is saying. He says, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. And how this translates, we speak in the sight of God, translates as we speak Directly in the presence and in front of God. You see? It's the fear of the Lord. Sometimes I watch Christian broadcasting. And I'm in total amazement. Total amazement that a guy can say such things. A lady can say just, just such things. It's like, does this person not even fear the Lord? No, because they're peddlers of the word. 
And they're not speaking in, in you know, they don't, they don't think in the concept of, you know, I'm teaching directly in the presence and in the sight of God. Absolutely zero fear of the Lord. Because if, if there was fear of the Lord, they would dare not say the things they say. But there is no fear of the Lord. So, they teach their diatribe. And that's the majority. That's the majority. You see? Many, many, many peddlers. The same as in Paul's day. Many peddlers. But few messengers. Few messengers. You see? I love so much our study through the Corinthian church. First Corinthians, yes, there's some bad and ugly parts, but what it leads to something so incredibly beautiful as the Lord continues to teach us and show us these things and mature us together. We're going to end our study here. And Lord willing, pick up next week in chapter 3. Beautiful people of the way, God bless you. I love you.